For a few minutes, I want you to think about heresy. Now, that's not normal for us as a church. We're trying to be orthodox and sound doctrine and let's, let's be true to God's word. But for a few minutes, I want you to think about heresy. What do you think is the most dangerous heresy on earth? All kinds of things maybe are popping to your mind. But the one I have in mind is not so bold or ugly enough that it would show up on the 6 o'clock news or show up on the cover of any of the cheap tabloids there at the grocery store near the cash register. The heresy we started talking about last week is more subtle and attractive. In fact, it's a favorite with almost everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. It's a philosophy that's found It's a philosophy that's found in hundreds of self-help books and poems and rags-to-riches biographies. It's a recurring theme in commercials and full-length movies. It feeds our pride and pleases our flesh. The heresy I'm talking about is humanism or legalism or human effort, what man can do. You hear it so much and, and, and there's such a sense of man's achievements and man's successes and new things we've discovered and what we can do and the abilities now and the potential now. And, and there is great potential because unlike the golden retriever or the otter or the anteater or the houseplant, we're created in the image of God. So no surprise that there's amazing potential and something about this thing called human being that is quantifiably different than the rest of the universe. The danger is we get all caught up in that and what we can do. And here's where it's really ugly. It masquerades and very often parades itself, even in the church, disguised as pursuit of holiness. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Should we pursue holiness? Should we fight sin? Should we put forth effort? Oh, yeah. But there's a slippery slope. There's a danger where you just begin to think, Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. I'm forgiven. And I'll meet him again at the end when he'll welcome me home. But between that point and that final point, it is up to me now with good books and discipleship and accountability and a small group and a good church and me working hard enough to do all these Christian things I keep being told. It's going to change my life. And Paul knew that. The apostle Paul knew that there's this danger that you begin to make more of and focus on what we're trying to do for God than what God does for us. And it sucks us back under the law and into the hothouse of legalism. So that's what Paul is putting his finger on. Last week I told you, Paul now takes aim at this heresy in Romans chapter 7. Where he drives home to the fact to us that in Romans 6 he was saying, you are free from the power of sin. Do you still sin as a Christian? Oh yeah. But you don't have to now. You're not a slave. You're not bound up. You don't have to say yes anymore. You've been set free to say No, that's Romans chapter 6. You have been set free to say no. How could we go on in sin? God forbid, may it never be. Meganoita, certainly not. Does grace cause us to just go on and say no? But now he wants you also to know 
that as a believer who's been justified by faith in Christ, you are free from the power of the law. You're free from the power of sin. You can say no now. And you're free from the power of the law. And if that scares you for a minute, you think, whoa, 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 whoa. What? You start talking that way, Brad, Paul. Christians might go out and who knows what they'll do if they thought they're free from the power of the law. I can do whatever I want. Doesn't work that way. That's what the flesh thinks. We got to stay very law oriented. We got to keep it about the law. We better stay under the law. We better stay close to the law. We better wave the law around much if we're going to be holy. That is a misnomer. That is wrong. And that's why Paul's putting his finger on it. There's a reason. Listen, the law never sets you free. It just stirs it up. It just stirs it up. And we're going to get to that later in the message. We're going to talk about it more in the lesson. But the law just stirs it up. So let's review our simple definition of legalism that I did not get from the Bible. It's not a verse in the Bible, but I hope it's based on, and I think it's based on biblical principles and sound doctrine. And it's C.J. Mahaney in his little book, uh, Cross-Centered Life. Legalism is seeking to achieve from God forgiveness and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Let me say it again. Legalism is seeking to achieve, achieve it, forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Now, the reason it's tricky is, should we obey? In fact, it characterizes his kids. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Danger, legalism gets the cart before the horse. I am achieving his forgiveness and getting his acceptance By my obedience. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. At all. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. In other words, a legalist is anyone who behaves as if they can earn God's favor through personal performance. You can't. There's one, Jesus Christ, who, performer is not a good way to think of it, but in essence, Lived his life, perfectly kept the law, fulfilled all of God's commands, satisfied the demands of the Father, pleased the Father. There's only one person that God the Father ever said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Right here. Yes, yes, yes. He, he lived that life. None of us are going to perform to a point where, yes, We meet that standard. No way. Otherwise, we wouldn't have needed a Savior. God wouldn't have needed to send His Son. God wouldn't have needed to take on flesh and leave the heavens and stoop and step into our world. So let's read it again from Romans 7, 1 to 6. I hope you have a Bible. Look at it in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. And follow along as I read it. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she's married to another man. Therefore... So now he's set up an illustration. He's set up an analogy and he's going to apply it to you and say, look, here's what I want you to understand about you. Therefore, my brethren, you 
also have become dead to the law. So it's fair to say he's telling you the law is your ex-husband. Done. The law is your ex-husband. Therefore, brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. What? So you can just run wild and be a bigger, bolder sinner and do whatever you want. Hit the singles bars. No. Ex-husband law because, boom, I turned right around and married to Christ. You that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which were aroused by the law were at work in us, in our members, to bear fruit to death. But now, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So how can you keep from getting sucked back under the law into the hothouse of legalism? Because there are a lot of people out there, including your own flesh, that would love to drag you back under the law. And it's so defeating and condemning and our arch enemy Satan understands how defeating it is. And so he'll do everything he can to get you looping back into self-righteousness and list-keeping. Looping back into self-righteousness and list-keeping instead of resting in the righteousness of your Savior, husband, Jesus Christ. So last week I said I want to show you three ways that I think, because this is a problem, what are you going to do to keep from going back under the law and getting sucked into that? I said, I want to show you three ways that I think it could help you keep that from happening. Last week, we just looked at one, but it was a good one. Remember what it was? You stay focused on your new love for Christ. You have a husband, not just a religion. You have a relationship, a husband. You don't have a list, you have a lover. And that's because Romans 7, 4, look at it again. Because Romans 7.4 says that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. Who is he who was raised from the dead? Jesus is your husband. Jesus is your husband now. See, listen. At the heart of Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The church is guilty of, I'll admit it. I grew up in the church, been in the church since I was seven The church is guilty of conducting itself in such a way that we confuse the world and even people in the church to start to think it's about lists and rules and more of this and less of that. Do more of this and less of that. Do more of this and less of that. And I know it's a slippery slope and it's tricky because there are all these things. It's like, all right, in Christ, put off this and begin to put on that. But it's always in Christ. The heart of Christianity is a relationship with Christ and our flesh tends to just strip away Christ and just grab because we love to bottom line everything and we just create systems and bottom line denominator and all of a sudden without realizing it, we're trying to just work a system and what happened to Jesus? Where's Jesus? And we wonder why we're so joyless, exhausted, frustrated, thinking, I don't think I can do this till Jesus comes again. This is so hard. Yeah, it's hard. When it's just you trying to work a system and you've lost sight of a relationship and a husband and a lover working with you and for you from the inside out, 
But the heart of Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not some laundry list of do's and don'ts. If you don't have a personal, living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, you probably don't have the real thing. And we're going to talk about it some more today. So I want to show you a second way. That's the first. Stay focused on your new love for Christ. He's your husband. He's not just a coach. He's not just a trainer. He doesn't show up with a whistle in his hand and a clipboard. He's your lover, your husband. And I'm not making this up. This is the analogy of the Bible God, God chose to give us. It's that tender. It's that precious. It's that good. Number two. How are you going to keep from getting sucked back under the law? Stay mindful of your new power to change. New power to change. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Look at Romans 7 verse 6. Romans 7 verse 6. But now we've been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. And not the oldness of the letter. Look at that word in reference to the law. You've died to the law, to what we were held by. See, folks, listen. The law doesn't help you. It holds you. It holds you accountable. Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Is the law bad? No. He's going to go on and say that later in Romans 7. Because he anticipates that he's hammering on this so hard. Someone's going to say... Well, let's just get rid of the law. Is it bad? Why do we ever even start with the law? The law is good, but it only does one thing. It holds you accountable. It shows you who you really are. It says, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Here's the standard. Look at this. Look at this. We've died to what we were held by. It held you accountable. It said guilty, guilty, guilty. It condemns, it shames. That's the purpose of the law. You say, why would God do that, Brad? Is he a bad God? No, 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 no. Until you see yourself for who you really are, God knows how self-righteous and pompous and arrogant and I'm better than other people and I'm pretty good and I just need a little tweak. I just need a little boost from God. I'm not a wretch. I'm not, I'm not in desperate need of a savior or anything like that. He knows that's, that's by nature how we are. So it holds you. Because remember in Romans chapter 3, let's go there. Last year, what we saw, Romans 3. Here's what the law does, and it's good. It's good. It's good. But it, it's to get you ready for Jesus, Savior, rescue, husband. Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law... That every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. See, God knows he needs to get our mouths to stop. Because our mouth is always running, declaring who we really are and how how we're doing and comparing ourselves. Like, shut your mouth. The law is so you'll stop. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Hey, the law doesn't make you guilty. You are. The law just helps you realize it. Oh, oh, you mean that's the standard? Oh, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now look at verse 20, Romans 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law... How many people are going to get justified, made right with God, have peace with God, be forgiven, no condemnation, robe of righteousness, adopted? How many get that by keeping the law? No flesh. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh will be justified in his sight. And then he tells you exactly the role of the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Law holds you accountable and says, oh yeah, you think that's who you really are? You think you're, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. You need a savior. You fall short. You fall short. You're worse than you think you are. You fall short. God didn't save us and then just leave us to grunt and strain with the same old taskmaster, with that same old husband, and try to get done Christian growth and change and fruit with the law. It doesn't work. It's death. There's death in the law, shame in the law, guilt in the law, condemnation in the law, and it's a great place to start. It's just not a great place to stay. This gets you ready for Christ, and you don't just run wild. When you get a hold of that you are dead to the law and free from the law, it does not make you a bigger, bolder sinner. It makes you a lover of Jesus Christ and you begin to live and, yes, strive and pursue holiness with, an, with a power and a hope and a joy knowing that just over that next crest of the hill, if I fall and stumble, if I blow it, if I make a mistake... He doesn't condemn me. He doesn't write me off. He doesn't say, get out of here. He is right there and will pick me up. It will continue with me. In fact, he's helping me. He's in me. He's living this through me, enabling me to think differently and have a power beyond my own strength. He is for me, not against me. It's exactly what he says in Romans 8. When he goes on and says, how shall he who who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And he says, I love it. Who is he who condemns? Who can condemn you now? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And then he goes on to say, for Christ has died and also has risen again, is even seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Therefore, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall death or life or persecution or naked or famine or peril or sword? He goes on to say, nothing, nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Christ, including your poor performance. Just, right? Not, oh, that means I can look at porn and I can go wild. I can beat my wife. I can ignore my kids. I can live for money. When you understand this and you truly know Christ and he's living in you, that's not what it produces. But Paul knows there's that danger that people are going to think, what's going to happen if you actually preach up grace this big? Don't we need the law? Keep the law in there. Keep the law in there. The law brings death. The law brings condemnation and shame and guilt. And it'll wear you out. See, here's, here's the real deal. The most you can hope for to produce by hanging on to the law as a Christian and using that as your main means and motivation is some counterfeit fruits of self-righteousness that begin to stink and rot and wither. See, the danger is, can you in your own strength and effort for a while produce Some things that look good. Oh yeah, I wish I could tell you no. That's the problem. You can for a while. Here's the difference. 
It's like a blue spruce that you'd go and cut down for Christmas or, or buy it already cut, drag it back to the house and you set it up in this little stand and you, and you start stringing lights around it and you hang tinsel on it. You put your favorite ornaments on it. You plug it in, put a star on the top or an angel. You got this blue spruce with all this stuff that's been added on the outside that that blue spruce did not produce. You're not going to find a blue spruce in Colorado that looks like that on a hillside. Man, I'll take that one. Ready to go. No. Versus, because this is what some people are doing as so-called Christians, just adding it on the outside, plugging it in, trying to do these things. This is exhausting. And it looks good for a little while. Versus a fruit tree, like a peach tree, a Georgia peach tree. And the fruit that's on that, what's hanging on it, it's not tinsel, lights, star, but there's fruit. It begins to bud, there's a flower. There's a bud, then there's a flower, then there's that fruit. It goes from green, then to pink and red. And if you've been around it, and I have, you can smell it in the yard. You you can smell it. And you bite into that, all sweet succulent it's all in your hand it's running down your arm to your elbow the real deal nothing artificial nothing's been added this peach tree produced this fruit this is what it means to have Christ living in you now can a peach tree get worms get some blight get some problems oh yeah so we do we got some bad years some bad moments But in general, overall, the healthy, normal pattern of a peach tree is to produce succulent fruit that smells good, looks good, tastes good, because it is alive and it has a source of life versus this dead spruce that's been whacked at the bottom, stood up, and things have been put on it. Here's the other thing, folks. This right over here, this doesn't attract people to Christ. They can see through this and after a while, they're like, I can do that. In fact, I'm doing some of that myself. And sometimes they do it better. Over here, you don't have to be perfect and you will not be perfect. But oh my goodness, this will actually attract some unbelievers to say, what is that you got? They'll put down some of their toys and give this a second look. Genuine, genuine peach, the real deal. Let me ask you. What do you have? To switch the fruit analogy, I like peaches better than grapes. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do how much? Oh, say it again. Say it to our world who's all about all we can do. Nothing. Nothing. And that includes after he saves you. I think we think, but after he saves me now, I got, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yes, he calls you to live differently, but you can't do it without him. Without enjoying him, delighting in him, spending time with him, and awareness that he lives in me. He's my husband, he loves me, and I've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living Christ living in me. Fruit on the vine versus decoration stuck on the branches of a tree. Look at verse 4 again in Romans 7. Look at that final phrase in verse 4 of Romans 7. 
Final phrase. Why does he want us to get to understand that you're dead to the law, that's your ex-husband, not so that you can run wild and be a bigger, bolder sinner? He says, last phrase, that we should bear what? Fruit to God. This doesn't bear fruit. Decorations, yeah. Counterfeit stuff, yeah. Self-righteousness that begins to rot and stink and wither in a hurry, oh yeah. Fruit, that we should bear fruit. You start to bear fruit over here, bear fruit. As Christians now we bear fruit from our living, vital connection and relationship to a risen, living, all-powerful, all-satisfying, all-glorious Savior living in us. You'll bear more fruit as you begin to understand a Savior living in us rather than the, the law breathing down on us. But people think you can get it done more with law, with fear, with intimidation, with shaking the law on their front. No. Nope. And notice in verse 6 of Romans 7, what else? That we're going to bear fruit. You get over here and you start to bear real fruit. You get over here and something else starts to happen. Look in verse 6 of Romans 7. So that we, so that we, why does he want you to know you're delivered from the law? You've died to the law. Not just to run wild. So that we should serve in the newness of the spirit. You begin, when you get over here, you begin to bear fruit and you serve. You begin to bear fruit and you serve. You begin to bear fruit and you serve. And it's not exhausting. Hard, yes. You get tired. But not like what's happening over here where I just don't know if I can do this till Jesus comes. If that's you, that's how you feel most of the time in your Christian life, I ask you, are you the blue spruce or are you the peach tree yet? Producing fruit because Christ lives in you, in you. Not the law on you, on you. That's why you need to live out the freedom that Paul was talking about in Galatians 5. Scoot over to Galatians 5. Go right if you're in Romans 7. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. He, he, he's saying... I'm talking to you about a liberty now that you've died to the law, that you're free from the law, but he understands you can get it and then lose it. Have it and then been drugged back under the law. It's like stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free and do not, do not be entangled again under a yoke of slavery. You're going to have to choose to stand in that freedom. Not a freedom to run and do anything I want, but a freedom that recognizes that's my ex-husband. I'm not going to become more godly by, by soaking in the law and just continually coming to the law and obsessing over the law and shaking the law. And it's delighting in Jesus, knowing Jesus, spending time with Jesus, reading God's word as a pr- and saying, speak to me. He's alive. I pray to him and he speaks to me. I pray to him and I speak to... If this is just a list of rules and you're going here like... Let me find out what the rule is for today, what to do. Dead. Burdensome. Folks, as I read my Bible every morning, I do it because I want to spend time with my Savior. I want to meet my husband. I want to spend time with my lover. I want to know him and his promises and his word. And Alive. Alive. See, God wants us to run and jump. There's an analogy I love in the Bible that he uses concerning this. He wants us to run and and jump and leap like calves released from the stall. 
That was a marvelous picture to me. My grandfather had a farm in Rome, Georgia. Every summer I spent two weeks there as a little boy. Some of my favorite, favorite times I remember. And so I've seen this, whether it's a colt or a calf, there's nothing quite like it. You know, just the gangly legs and the uninhibited spirit. They don't know yet they're probably going to die and become a hamburger or whatever. But it's just right now, just, there's just such a freedom and a joy. It's like, wow. And God chose to use that. I, I love how God communicates with us and the pictures he uses. He gave us that picture for us. Did you know that? Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. In Malachi 4, 2, it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and leap like calves released from the stall. See, here's my concern. When you're over here trying to do this, this blue spruce thing, all plugged in, wrapped with wires, tinsel, you don't do much leaping. It's exhausting. We got too many Christians that are creeping through life rather than leaping. Because there's not the sense of having been released from the stall into the sunshine and warmth of God's love and acceptance and grace. And I have a lover. I have a husband, Jesus Christ. He's for me, not against me. He'll finish what he starts. He stays with me every day, moment by moment. He'll never leave me or forsake me. When you get a hold of that, you have a sense of leaping. When you're still over here with that yoke of what do I need to do next? Give me one more rule. Hold me accountable. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I got to try harder. I got to turn over a new leaf. I need to do better. I need to read my Bible longer. Pray harder. Fast. Add some solitude. Add some journaling. You creep. What about you? Have you been released from the stall? Don't hear me saying have you been released from all obligation and obedience and, and spiritual disciplines, I read my Bible. I try to do it every day. I memorize scripture. I spend unhurried time in God's presence praying. Like an hour, more than an hour a day. I have days of fasting. But not any of that's not like I need to pray because I'm a Christian. Oh boy. I gotta read my Bible or I'm gonna have a wreck on the interstate. Oh, I probably should fast. Oh please. Maybe a journaling thing every now and then. I'm doing these things because it's like I read his word because he's alive to me. He feeds my soul. I pray because I love him. There's no one I'd rather talk to or spend time with and I delight in him. I fast because I, I long for him. I ache. I yearn for him. I'm hungry for him. I'm happy to say, God, I want you more than I want my food. The things that I do, I do them in a context of a love relationship and it's alive. It's not dead stuff. Where are you? And I'm telling you what, often the indicators of where you are is level of joy. There's no leaping when you're over here. You creep. You leap when you get over here. Leaping. Leaping. Some of you, I'm, I'm afraid, are still in the stall. Still in the stall with the threatening of the law that can never get it done in your life. He's your lover, husband, and there's the spirit of Christ living in you that enables you. Go back to Romans chapter 8. And look at what he says about the role of the spirit. Romans 8, role of the spirit. And when we get there, next year maybe, you'll see the spirit gets mentioned just more than a dozen times in Romans 8. Romans 8, beginning of verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. 
not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the law, if you take the law and you try to really please God and honor God and grow and change, and nah, if by the what? Say it. If by the Spirit you put to death. Now, here's the tricky part. Don't, who has to do it? If by the Spirit you put, you got to make a choice. Right now I can rip the head off of my wife or I can, I can bite my tongue. I can forbear. I can be long-suffering. I got to choose every day in these moments. I still, it's me. But I got the Spirit of God in me. If you by the Spirit Put to death the deeds of the flesh. You will live. You will live. You will live. For as many, listen to this, for as many as are led by the law, breathing down their necks, whipping on them, still saying, go, go, guilty, guilty, go, try harder, man, harder, harder. What do you, you call that effort? No. That's not what we see. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And that word Abba in the Aramaic is Aramaic, is one of the most tender, endearing terms for Father. It's Daddy. Whereas Islam... Has no, doesn't even have a word for father in Islam. God, Allah, is a cold, scary, harsh, distant entity, and you never know whether you've pleased him. You, you roll your mat out five times a day, you face Mecca, you do all this, you try to keep Ramadan, and you never know, you never know, you never know. There is not a personal, warm relationship. That you find in Christianity and Christianity only. God took on flesh and stooped and stepped into our world and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And now, though he's removed, he said, if I go away, it's gonna be good for you. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. He said, if I go away, I'm gonna give you a helper, a comforter, a paraclete, one that comes alongside us. It's the spirit. The spirit of the living Christ is in you. The resurrected Christ is in you to help you. Yes, convict you, guide you, encourage you. This thing called Christianity is alive. It's living. If you're still over here with blue spruce decorations, wondering why am I so exhausted? Why when Brad gets animated like this do I think, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, we got different personalities. I know some of us. Whatever your animated looks like, you ought to have some of it and think, I I know what he's talking about. I know. Mine looks a little different, but I know what he's saying. I hope when I effuse like this, you don't think, I don't get it. If, you, if that's you, listen. Maybe all you got is blue spruce Christianity with decorations on the outside. Say, oh God, I want to know what Brad's talking about. I want to know what your word's talking about. I grew up in church. I got baptized. I signed a card. I threw a stick in the fire. I did something, but oh man, I'm over here. I want, I want that succulent running down the arm juice, that sweet, that aroma, that I don't feel like I'm killing myself to produce this and straining to make it happen. It's natural. It's natural. I'm producing fruit as I stay connected to Christ and delighting in Christ. What do you have? What do you have? See, because listen, look at Romans 7 again in verse 5. This fruit tree 
Genuine Georgia peach thing versus blue spruce, so different. So different. Look at the law. If you stay over here, law-based. Romans 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which were aroused by the law. The law. The law just stirs it up, my friend. Is the law good? Do we need it? Should we stay with it our entire Christian life as our main means of motivation and changing and growing? No. The law stirs it up. Here's what I mean. Let me illustrate it this way. If you took a 50-gallon drum, filled it with pond water from my papa's farm, and let it sit there for a day, all that silt and filth and mud and dirt, perhaps manure, would settle to the bottom of that drum. And you could walk over there and look at it and think, that looks clean. That looks good. I would drink that. But if you took a big stick and just begin to jab it down in there and agitate that and stir it up, scrape the bottom, stir it up and agitate it and poke that, all that silt that has settled to the bottom would begin to swirl and cloud the water and foul the water. Did the stick, the big stick, make the water dirty? Can this big stick help get the water clean? But what the big stick can do is expose and demonstrate that the water is dirty. That's what the law does. The big stick of the law. So it's good because once you recognize the filth and the dirt and, and the true condition, then you hunger for a solution. Then you long for a savior. Then you long for life-changing transformation. And Paul understood, but you don't stay with this. You don't keep carrying the big stick of the law in your Christian life. But we got Christians doing this. And here's the deal. They don't just keep stirring it up in their own lives. They stir it up in everybody else. Poke, 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 stir, 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 jab, poke, poke, poke. Do what I'm doing. Everybody wants everyone to do what they're doing. And Paul understood that exactly. Paul understood His own life, he knew what it was like to carry the big stick of the law. Philippians chapter 3, he gives his personal testimony and says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, zealous, according to the law, zealous. He had all that. But he understood that could never save him and that will never make him more godly. He gladly threw down the big stick of the law and exchanged it for a wedding band and a husband, Jesus Christ, and never looked back. That's what he says in Philippians 3. When he says in verses 7 and following, but whatever gain I had, and it's fair to take those verses and think that he's talking about cars and houses and money, and you can apply it that way, but in context... Right before he says this, he lists all his self-righteousness, law stuff. And that's what he's talking about. But whatever gain I had, oh yeah, I had that resume of all those religious stuff. Whatever gain I had, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Indeed, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, listen to this, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, I get it from God, that depends on, say it, faith, not the law, I don't earn it. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Oh, listen to this. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I pursue holiness Not to achieve it. He's already made me his own. I'm accepted in the beloved. I press on to make it my own, to more and more understand this and own it. But I do it because he's already made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What do you have? Do you have a husband, lover, connected to the vine, life? Or are you still carrying a big stick and you're a blue spruce just trying to get her done, get her done, get her done? You'll never get it done. And you're likely not to attract anyone else to the Savior. It's all about Christ. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Not to begin with, but to finish with all the way, all the way. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, I pray right now that you would cause some who are still pent up in the stall, stamping and snorting and restrained and burdened to be released from the stall, to leap like calves into the sunshine of grace and a husband and a lover. And Lord, for some who don't know you and have had no interest in knowing you because all they've seen is blue spruce, outward decorations and the big stick of the law with Christians trying to get her done. Oh, draw those now to you. May you make Christ look as lovely as he truly is, as as wonderful as he truly is and for the husband and savior that he truly is, and call them to yourselves, not to religion, but to a relationship with a living, risen savior. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.